I want to talk to you about Psalm 64. Years and years and years and years and years we read the Torah and the Half Torah and we have started adding Psalms in there and it turns out that Psalm 64 is really appropriate to what's going on in the world today. So pick it up at verse 3 talking about evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, who shoot from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly without fear. Does that sound like Twitter to you? (laughs) Dead serious. People who aim words like arrows without fear. In other words, they are not standing face to face with you. They are launching these things into the ether and in that process they are trying to destroy people with evil words. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. Do people lay these snares? One day you can say something and the next day all of a sudden what you're saying is not acceptable anymore? And here's where I want to spend a minute. They search out injustice saying we have accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and the heart of man are deep. And that needs a little unpacking. What it's saying is we have appointed a special council. And what that council is authorized to do is go anywhere because we know that the heart of man is such that everybody has something to hide. Anybody have something that they would rather didn't show up on the front page of the paper? Sure, we all do. And so what these evil ones are doing is they are saying, we are going to search you out until we find something that we can then raise you up to shame and ridicule about. And then verse 7, but God shoots his arrow at them. So 1 through 6 describe the enemy, seven, describes what God is doing. So that naturally takes you to Revelation 12, right? Y'all went immediately to Revelation 12, didn't you? So let's look at Revelation 12 for a minute. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not even their lives unto death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them but woe to you O earth and sea for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that the time is short so the first thing he is labeled as the accuser of the brethren The primary weapon of the enemy is accusation. Does that sound like Twitter? Or Facebook or, you know, whatever social medium you happen to be on. But if you pay attention at all to what's happening in the world, what you find is they're 
are these constant streams of accusation against people with the intention of tearing them down. And I will suggest to you that that's satanic. Now, what I want to also talk about is that the time is short. Now, those of you who believe like I do, realize that we are in the sixth millennium since biblical creation. If you add up the numbers starting back in creation, you find that we are in the sixth millennium. And as I read scripture, the seventh millennium is when Messiah will come himself and will reign here on earth. Now, if you believe the Jewish calendar, we are in the year 5777, which means that there are 223 years yet to go before the seventh millennium. There are those who believe that that calendar is in error by about 250 years. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not trying to teach that one way or the other. But what I am saying is, in six millennia, we are coming to the end of the sixth which means from Satan's point of view and in his economy, the time is short. And from our perspective, the time is also short. Now, whether we got 223 years to go or whether very short time to go, I don't know. But my impression right now is that the mask is coming off. One of the things that Satan is accused of is he is deceiver of the whole world. I just read that in Revelation again. And one of the things of deception is secrecy. In other words, you don't let people know who you really are. That's the essence of deception. And by the way, I believe that that's what David said. They hold fast their evil purpose. They talk about laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? This is deception. You don't set a trap out there and say, this is a trap. Walk right in here. This is a trap. You don't do that. You set up a trap secretly. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a liar. And Satan is an accuser. And what I'm suggesting to you is that what we're seeing right now in this world is the time is growing short and the mask is coming off. Now, there are two kinds of people. There are people out there who know that the battle is real. They are the children of God, us, you, and they are the children of the serpent. Both of those groups know that the battle is real. Then you've got people who don't know that there's a battle. And that's the vast majority of people. They're just sort of wandering around fat, dumb, and happy, not realizing that they're walking through a minefield until all of a sudden it explodes. You know there's a battle, and the seed of the serpent knows the battle. Now, I was talking to Ray a couple weeks ago, and we went to Genesis, everything starts in Genesis, right? You always gotta go back to Genesis. Genesis 3.14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. So you've got two seeds. You've got the seed of the woman, who eventually becomes the Messiah, but you've also got the seed of the serpent. So who's the seed of the serpent? And for that, I'm going to go to John 8. And in John 8, to set the stage, Yeshua is duking it out with the Pharisees as he often does. 
And one of the subjects of that fight is, who's your daddy? That's what's going on in John chapter 8. Who's your daddy? So I'm starting in verse 34. Yeshua answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So Yeshua says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, you speak of what you have heard from your father. we got two different fathers there, haven't we? My father, Yeshua, your father, the guys he's duking it out with. They answered him. Abraham is our father. And Yeshua, by the way, said back in 37, I know that you're offspring of Abraham physically. So they answered him, 39, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did the other father here. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So what they're saying is, uh, you know, the virgin birth stuff? Yeah, right. We know what happened. You're a bastard, is what they're saying. So they're saying, we're the children of Abraham. You're a bastard. Yeshua is saying, my father is God. You have some other father. 42. Yeshua said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what we have here is two fathers, two seeds going all the way back to Genesis 3, remember? The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And what Yeshua is doing is bringing it up to a head and he's saying, my father, your father, My father is God, your father is the devil. And what I said just a bit earlier is that there's a battle going on. And the seed of the woman, the children of God, recognize there's a battle. And the seed of the serpent recognize there's a battle. And the seed of the serpent in this particular case were the established leadership of Israel. The seed of the serpent today, I will suggest, resides in modern liberalism because it is a tenet of modern liberalism that there's no God. So what we have is a battle going on. And you saw that the primary weapon are lies and deception. Our primary weapon is the truth. Words are the primary weapon. But as we saw this week, when words don't quite work and do what they want, there's no problem going on to physical violence. 
we had someone that went to try and take out a bunch of congressmen. And they were, by the way, all congressmen who were opposed to liberalism. In fact, I understand that he had a list, and he was specifically targeting pro-life congressmen. That's the seed of the serpent. Now, Yeshua acknowledges that his opponents here in John chapter 8 are the physical descendants of Abraham. So the people who come into the world by the proper gate, they're born of a woman, are physical seed of somebody. And you become then the seed of the woman or the seed of children of God, if you will, by the application of words and belief. In other words, somebody convinces you that God is real, you're not him, and you come to recognize him and you worship and accept him as your Lord. I mean, he is your Lord whether you accept it or not, but you acknowledge it. And that brings you over and you become a child of God. That's why Yeshua died. So we all have the ability to become children of God. That's what Hebrews says. That's what Ephesians says. That the thing he purchased for all of us, all humanity, boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, Gentiles, Jews, all of us, we now have the ability to become children of God. And you become a child of God by a choice. You also have the ability to become the child of a serpent. And what Yeshua is saying is, you guys, physical children of Abraham, have chosen to become children of the serpent. And we have lots of people in this world who have chosen to become children of the serpent. A lot of them reside in Congress, quite frankly. So, if becoming either a child of God or a child of serpent is an act of will, you get to decide. We all come into the world, we get to make that decision. And what I'm asserting is there's a whole bunch of people that are just sort of walking around lost and confused. They haven't really chosen to be children of the serpent, but they haven't really chosen to be children of God either. They're the battleground. They're the thing that we're fighting over. And what our job is, is to go out and turn as many of those people as we possibly can into children of God and wrest them away from the serpent. And the time is short. We are at least three-quarters of the way through the sixth millennium. At least. And as I read scripture, the seventh millennium is when the trumpet sounds and the heavens open up and the Son of Man comes and descends and stands on the mountain of Jerusalem. That's the beginning of the seventh millennium, I believe. So the time is short. So what do you do? Well, one of your problems is that the church has sort of become ineffective. And part of the reason for that is we live in a Christian society, which means everybody has heard about the Sunday school Jesus. I mean, you go ask any random person, and they can sort of give you a version of the gospel. Because we live in a Christian country. It's part of our culture. Everybody knows that. So the question becomes, why is that not effective? Part of the reason is because the enemy has poo-pooed the Sunday school Jesus. Don't get me wrong. The Sunday school Jesus is really correct, all that, but it's appropriate for a child. 
It is taught at the level of a child, which is appropriate for a child. The problem is lots of people don't ever grow out of being a child. They don't ever come to a deeper understanding. They don't ever come to a personal knowledge of God because they're stuck at the Sunday school level. And again, don't get me wrong. Sunday school is wonderful. The Sunday school Jesus is wonderful. If you happen to be a six-year-old. But there's more to it. Now, there's two things that can be effective. One is personal testimony. If you can go to someone and say, this is what Jesus Yeshua did for me. This is where I was. This is where he met me. This is where he took me out of, and he has moved me to another place. Personal stories are very compelling. A lot of us, we were born into a Christian family, praise God. We grew up, we learned the Sunday school Jesus, we kept going, and there was never any dramatic thing that happened in our life. And that's okay. That's a good thing. You want to raise your children so that they come up in the knowledge of God all their lives and they grow up to be mature believers in God and so forth. But wasn't anything very dramatic that happened. That's just who I am. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot of people out there that that isn't their story. There's a lot of people out there that were lost and confused and didn't have any idea what was going on. And God reached into the world and grabbed them by the stacking swivel and brought them out. I'm one of those people. And if you have a compelling personal story, use it. It is your greatest weapon. It really is. If you don't have a compelling story, what you need to do is learn more about this God and his Messiah and get beyond the level of the Sunday school Jesus so you can talk to people who have just heard the sound bites don't judge Jesus loves me all that stuff that they've sort of dismissed and you can go beyond that and you can say wait a minute I had a friend years ago loved him dearly and he called me up and he was dying he said I'm dying and that's okay and he says well where are you going, Ted? What's your belief? Well, I don't know. And I said to him, you have rejected the Sunday school Jesus, and you have never gone beyond that, and you have never learned of the depth of God and the way that he loves you in a deep and personal and understandable way. So you're about to die, and you're at peace. It's okay. I mean, but you've got no idea what happens next. And as far as I know... He just then went on to die. And I don't have any idea what happened to him next. Sad, but I don't. As you're going through life, understand that all of these accusations that are going to be thrown at you, and they will be, accusations are effective because everybody has something deep down inside of him that he knows he's a hypocrite. He knows he's a thief. He knows whatever. I mean, you keep it all repressed, and you don't go around stabbing people, and you don't go around committing adultery, but you've got all this stuff inside of you, and you recognize, okay, it's in there. And so the accusation has a seed of truth to it. And what it winds up doing is shutting you down. That's why it's so effective. That's why that is the primary weapon of the serpent. And his seed is accusation. That's why Twitter is so effective in shutting people down. 
because you've got tens of thousands of people who have discovered the power of being unpleasant. Nobody likes to have people in their face yelling at them. Nobody likes it. We're social beings. We like people to like us. So when you have people that are in your face, you tend to back off, shut down, and shut up. And that's what they want. You've got to engage them. And some of them, praise God, you may be able to get through to. That happens. You have people that are rabidly anti-God that somebody finally gets through to, and they've changed from being seed of the serpent to being seed of God. A lot of them you won't convert, but what you will do is you will influence the people who are affected by them. As I say, lots of people are not really wicked. They're just lost, confused, and they go with the flow. And so if the flow is nattering at Christians and nattering at people who are trying to do good, that hurts. So you've got to stand up and you've got to speak the truth because that's your only weapon. That's the weapon God has given you. And if the only truth you know is the Sunday school Jesus, that's wonderful, but I'm suggesting to you that that is not going to be effective in the war that we're in. You've got to get deeper than that. You've got to get farther than that. You've got to learn more about this God that you worship and His Son. So, stand up. The time is short. Go after Him with sharp sticks.